It is time for midday here at KRVN. It's officially 11.30. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Everybody's here. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen in sports in just a couple of minutes. Also hear from Bob Broken. He'll tell us about uh, what stocks are doing so far early this afternoon. But as we always do, let's start with Susan Littlefield. She'll give us a preview of the featured interviews that are to come today. Well, thanks, Tyler. Here's what's happening on a midday on this Tuesday from the farm team. Kicking it off will be the IANR and their Rural Fellows Program. This is going to be a program you're going to hear every Tuesday during the month of December. Then at 1245, I'll be speaking with Brian Jennings, who is CEO of the American Coalition of Ethanol, to talk about ethanol COVID and the effects that he's seen. Wrapping everything up at 117 will be Bryce as he talks with Scott Lund of Santa's Wood Tree Farm, a manager there about the record-breaking weekend for their Christmas tree farm. And by the way, on a side note, happy 23rd work anniversary to Jason Jorgensen. That's a look at the midday from the farm team. Okay, thank you very much, Susan. Sure, appreciate that. Uh, I am. Did you did you pay her to say that or something? I didn't. I am shocked. That is so nice of Susan. <laughs> well, congratulations, twenty three years in any industry. That's uh, not an easy thing to do. Yeah, so. only going to be here three years. That that was twenty years ago. So <laughs> glad I hung around. That is, uh, you've seen a lot. A lot of things uh, have changed, and good and bad, I suppose. As Bob's smirking over here, not as much right. as the old grizzled veteran Bob Brogan. But I'm that's not even <laughs> a part of this conversation. But uh, we really congratulations. Did. Yeah, you probably doubled up me. Cake and ice cream. Uh, hey, there we go. Once COVID's over with. All right, sounds good. Uh, big hire in sports today, in particular with uh, college football. Yeah, Hastings College's new head coach, Matt Franzen. What a pickup for the Broncos. They're getting a guy here who's an established coach who had success. He rebuilt the Doan program, and he did it with Nebraska kids. Uh, you saw it when you called uh, Concordia Doan games, and so did I. Uh, when he had Doan rolling, they were doing that with kids from the state of Nebraska. And in the press release that came out today, uh, that's something he wants to focus in on again. Well, not only did they do that every year, they were getting to the playoffs every single year, which is not easy in the GPAC when you have teams like Morningside and Northwestern. But then he became the AD and uh, did some good things there as well at Doan. And it'll be curious to see what he does at Hastings College. They, they've gotten some good talent here and there before, so they've struggled for a while. But and it's off. It's it's a little different to see someone who makes it to the AD level and then right. would yeah. rather coach. <laughs> so I think that's what it comes down to. Right. He'd been an assistant at Hastings College before, mm-hmm. so that's a no-brainer for the Broncos. We'll talk more coming up on that in sports. Nebraska men's basketball back at home tonight at 8 against South Dakota. If you happen to be listening to the game or watching the game tonight, Look out for Carney native Cannon Coster. He's played a little bit for the Coyotes in the first couple of games. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets in there tonight against the Huskers. What 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 a thrill for him and his family to uh, be playing for South Dakota and then be playing the Huskers. That is a special moment as well. that's the second within this what the first four games that a Nebraska kid has played yeah. against Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So kind of cool. A little bit. Maybe one day they'll have Nebraska kids playing for Nebraska. Maybe. You never know. That's all right. Uh, let's turn over to Bob Brogan. And what is stocks doing so far today? A little bit higher in trading on Wall Street. The S&P is pushing toward another record high. Investors focusing on the possibility that the coronavirus vaccines could soon help usher in a fuller global economic recovery. Details on that coming up. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. Sure. Appreciate that. Let's turn over to Clay Patton as we start mid. Time for a regional ag weather update. Man to do the job is Paul Perkins as he steps back in. And 
Well, Paul, it's a little bit more milder start to our Tuesday. Yes, uh, not as chilly this morning. A lot of us uh, starting out today with temperatures in the upper teens to low 20s as opposed to upper single digits and low teens like we did yesterday morning. Uh, Today, not going to be quite as nice. Uh, The temperature's pretty close, but the wind and the cloud cover starting to increase across the area, so not going to feel as uh, nice as what we've been experiencing. And unfortunately, we're (laughs) going to be talking about the snow. We're talking about snow in the forecast as well. Exactly. Mainly some light snow chances in our forecast. Better chances of seeing maybe some light accumulations will be from far southern Nebraska into northern Kansas. A pretty moisture-starved system moving through, so just some light snow chances on the way. The better chances of seeing some accumulating snow far uh, far off to the south into southern Kansas into northern Oklahoma. I was going to say, looking at the radar right now, in, in this morning, you could see it moving off the Rockies a little bit and moving into the front range and Fort Morgan area, but it's kind of slowed down a little bit. Exactly. Not moving a whole lot, and uh, it'll probably start to pick up a lot more moisture the farther south and east it goes, sure. and so we'll miss out on a lot of this action with this system. But right now, we do have that increasing cloud cover across the area, but temperatures with this front starting to get closer are into the mid to upper 40s from about Ogallala, North Pot, and Lexington on into southwest Nebraska. Most of our other temperatures right now in the upper 30s to low 40s. We do have that cloud cover increasing especially across western and central areas. Uh, if you're about uh, west of a line from Ord to Kearney down to Norton, Kansas, a lot more cloud cover, but to the east still a fair amount of sunshine. That cloud cover increasing today. Also winds picking up out of the northwest. We're also Already seeing some sustained winds into the teens and 20s. We'll see some gusts into the 30s as the day goes on with the passage of this cold front. Despite this cold front moving through, our temperatures will still be near normal to slightly above average. Moisture starved low pressure then tracks across the southern plains, resulting in small chances of light snow and occasionally a wintry mix late tonight through tomorrow night. Any accumulations expected to be on the light side and mostly from far southern Nebraska into northern Kansas. Now, the cold air behind that front that moves through today really takes hold for tomorrow. Our afternoon highs tomorrow will struggle to make it even near freezing tomorrow, so much cooler on those temperatures. Thursday will be a little bit better with slightly cooler than average temperatures, but with increasing sunshine and some lighter winds. Now, dry weather and temperatures that are 5 to 10 degrees warmer than normal start to return with the ridge of high pressure that builds east onto the plains for Friday into Monday. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures predicted to be at least slightly warmer than normal for Sunday all the way through December 14. So that's half of December that we don't have to worry about with uh, very cold temperatures. The outlook stays mostly dry for early next week with below normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas. But by late next week through December 14th, near normal precipitation now in the outlook for Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors in the markets include keeping a close watch on some rain chances in central Brazil and possible snow for snow areas or wheat areas of the southern plains. Low pressure emerging from the Rockies will produce varying amounts of precipitation for the midweek across the central and southern plains. Snow may accumulate starting late tomorrow in parts of southern Kansas and northern Oklahoma. That snow event promises to bring some useful moisture to winter wheat. Despite some precipitation last week, more than a fifth of the winter wheat still is rated very poor to poor in Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado, and Texas. Now, much of the rest of the U.S., including the upper Midwest, will experience dry weather over the next 
next five days. Central and southern Brazil crop areas continue to see chances for moderate to locally heavy rain over the next 10 days. Those rain chances getting close attention, especially in central Brazil. Their soybeans are showing some stunted growth and are going into the bloom phase with very dry conditions. Argentina's forecast features light rain this next week. The Argentine temperatures will be cooler than normal, which may keep the drier weather from stressing their crops. Now, you also did an interview with uh, the managing editor of the Old Farmer's Almanac to give us a preview of next year. And uh, what, what did she tell you? Basically, she said, above normal temperatures, but with a little more snow cover uh, here in Nebraska. Now, that's kind of a contrary forecast from the National Weather Service, so take what you want from that. Sure. But what, uh, the Almanac does say that they have an 80% prediction rate on their forecast. Wow. So a little bit more snow in Nebraska and Kansas, but above normal temperatures. Now, for the summer, expecting a warmer than normal summer and probably slightly drier than normal on temperatures. That is not what people want to hear. It's the drier than normal part. Exactly. Uh, That that complete interview is on our podcast page, krvn.com, so if you want to get the whole uh, details on all that. How accurate is the Almanac? Do you know? They claim 80%. 80%, like you said. Okay. But, you know, they kind of speak in generalities, too, so... (laughs) (laughs) To keep abroad. Okay, very good. Exactly. Uh, For more weather forecasts, where can you find find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you very much. Today. Since 2013, the University of Nebraska's Rural Fellows Program has placed student interns in communities across the state where they've had a chance to make a big difference. Today, we're learning more about the program with Dr. Helen Fagan. She's an assistant professor of practice in the Department of Ag Leadership, Education, and Communication. Dr. Fagan, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, first of all, tell us a little bit more about the Rural Fellows Program. Sure. The Rural Fellows Program actually started back in 2013 with a competitive award. A group of faculty and staff from University of Nebraska created what was then called the Serviceship Program. And it was so popular that we elevated it to the Fellows Program. And so the idea is that students are matched up with rural community leaders and they are working on rural community projects that that community has identified. And sometimes the projects that they get done are beyond anything that the community leaders had anticipated because they may have come up with one or two ideas and the students get done eight to ten things. And so fast forward a handful of years as this program has progressed, you're now offering grants for communities to help get university students into those communities across the state. Tell us more about these grants. Absolutely. The grants are intended to help offset the cost for communities. So each student is getting a stipend of $5,000 for working those 400 hours and living in the community. The community also provides housing. And so whatever the cost that the community is incurring, $2,000 per student um, that cost is being offset by that grant. And so we want to see new communities, so they're getting the priority. And then other communities who um, have done it before, you know, it's basically a first-come, first-serve. So the sooner the community gets their application in, the more likely they are to be able to participate and get take advantage of these $4,000. So, Dr. Fagan, for community leaders who might be listening, give us an idea of what types of projects these students are doing and really why it's important that they're coming out to these rural communities across the state. 
Of course. The reason we want students in rural communities across the state is because we want them to get real-life experience working alongside community leaders. But most importantly, we want them to experience rural life. And students can have the opportunity at a young age to be able to stand up in front of city council or come up with ideas to help with workforce development. They can get some really, some really great things done in the community that they probably wouldn't have the opportunity to do in any other communities. So the kinds of projects that students have done has been everything from business development, marketing, tourism, mental health, entrepreneurship. We've had some communities that have even used the work of the students to apply and facilitate the um, use of LB840 money, the tax monies, and so they've been able to get that passed in their community. So the projects are really endless. I mean, it's whatever the community feels like they need that would help them to succeed, we are able to match them with students. All right, great information. Thanks so much. Again, the Rural Fellows Program is currently accepting applications for both students and communities for 2021, and then grants are available to eligible communities. And you can find more information at ruralprosperitynne.unl.edu backslash rural-fellows. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, today it was announced that Matt Franzen is returning to Hastings College as head football coach after spending the past 13 years at Doan. Franzen was named Doan's athletic director in the summer of 2018. And prior to that, he was a head coach of the Tigers football program from 2007 to 2017, where he compiled a 65-49 and record. He was an assistant at Hastings College for more than a decade before moving to Doan. Another member of the 2020 recruiting class is no longer on the Nebraska football roster. Head coach Scott Frost confirmed yesterday the news regarding freshman wideout Marcus Fleming. 5'10", 165-pounder, was a four-star recruit out of the Miami area. He appeared in four of Nebraska's five games, making five receptions for 75 yards against Northwestern, but he missed the trip last week to Iowa. Fleming is the fifth member of this year's recruiting class to leave already, and Frost says that's not a good sign. So we have to make sure that we, we're recruiting the right kids, not just the right athletes. Um, we have to make sure that we're going to recruit the type of kid that's going to flourish in Nebraska. And, and I think certain kids are going to come here and assimilate and love it. Uh, maybe there's a few others that uh, wouldn't. Um, I went somewhere else and it didn't fit me, so that's not unusual. The Huskers lost another Miami-based freshman a few days ago with defensive back Ronald Delancey appearing in the portal on Friday. The Nebraska men's basketball team plays host to South Dakota tonight. Huskers sophomore point guard Delano Batten is off to a quick start this year and he says he's really tried to be a leader. We, we liked that a lot with last year's team. Just knowing that a lot of guys transferred still but just coming back into this year knowing that if that's what we lacked last year, we had the season we had, we know what we got to come in here and do. So not just to say for me, we have a lot of guys that are talkative. A lot of the Siddle guys as well as Derek and Shamil and a lot of newcomers who have came in and got the ball rolling just with me. So, man, a leader, leaders lead by example. So I feel like if I can talk, I can get that to trickle down from everyone. South Dakota comes in 0-2 tonight. Cannon Coster of Carney has appeared in both games for the Coyotes. He's averaged about 13 minutes of playing time. Of course, he started his career at UNK, then sat out last year as a transfer. Tip-off tonight is set for 8. We will bring you the game right here on 880 KRVN. 
Creighton men's basketball team plays host to Omaha this afternoon. The Blue Jays are 1-0. The Mavericks are 1-2. This is the first time since 1995 that the two programs have met. It's an early game this afternoon at 4. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. It is time for Midday News. Ellen Simmons has now stepped in. and Ellen, it's been a busy, well, couple days so far, and uh, we have a couple local stories. What do you have for us here on this Tuesday? Well, a Lexington couple has been arrested in connection with a financial fraud investigation involving the possession and manufacture of credit cards. According to Lexington Police Department information, it started from a report in early October from a Kentucky man who said his credit card information was used at a Lexington convenience store, but he still had possession of his credit card. Information was developed that led to the arrest of 22-year-old Sergey Ramirez Herrera of Lexington a few days later. A search of his residence led to the seizure of, a, of stolen credit card information, some computers, and technology to encode stolen financial information onto bank cards and a electronic file that contained financial excuse me a that contained pieces of stolen credit card information from hundreds of people ramirez herrera's girlfriend 26 year old estefany saron contreras has also been arrested in connection with the case the results of nebraska's record-setting 2020 election are official The state canvassing board certified the results Monday with little fanfare. The All-American, or excuse me, the All-Republican board voted 5-0 to approve the final numbers. According to the board, 966,920 voters cast ballots, amounting to roughly three in four registered voters. The all-time high for voter turnout was heavily driven by mail-in ballots amid the coronavirus pandemic. The board's vote also confirmed that Nebraska will deliver four electoral colleges votes to President Donald Trump and one to President-elect Joe Biden. Despite the pandemic and Trump's long-shot attempt to discredit results in other states, Secretary of State Bob Evans says Nebraska's election went smoothly. Nebraska has passed the grim milestone of 1,000 deaths linked to the coronavirus and the number of people hospitalized with COVID-19 remains high in the state. Officials reported 29 29 new deaths Monday to give the state 1,018 total since the pandemic began. The state also reported 1,941 new cases of the virus to push the total up to 128,407. The number of people being treated for the virus in hospitals grew Monday to 907 from the previous day's 896. That remains below the record of 987 that was set on November 20th, but the total is four times higher than it was two months ago. Lexington Volunteer Fire Department was kept busy Monday night by vehicle fires. Firefighters were paid shortly before 7 p.m. to a car fire at the intersection of Prospect Road and Plum Creek Parkway. The vehicle was destroyed. Lincoln, or excuse me, Lexington Police Department also responded. Just before 10 p.m., Lexington firefighters were called to a pickup fire about two miles northeast of the community near roads 435 and 758. Upon arrival, the pickup was fully engulfed. There was no injuries reported in either vehicle fire. The Dawson County Sheriff's Office also responded. You can find more news at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen.
how COVID has affected the ethanol industry. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Brian Jennings is CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, and he and I spoke during last week's virtual NAFB trade talk. We talked about this COVID situation and how it's had an effect on the industry. Grave concerns about that, Susan. Absolutely. You know, we we had a fairly quick rebound over the course of the summer months in terms of demand relative to the, the cliff that we fell off during the course of March and April in terms of fuel demand. But we haven't been able to recover fully, right, as we, as we see driving just as down uh, in 2021, or excuse me, 2020 compared to uh, the previous years. And now that we see um, some of these big population states uh, consider um, reimposing lockdowns, whether that's California or New York or, or Michigan, places where a lot of, of ethanol is consumed in, in blended in gasoline, that no doubt about it has um, created some concerns for us. We already know this time of year is typically a time of year when um, driving demand falls back, right? We're not driving as much anyway um, over the course of the winter months as we are in the summer. And so traditionally we see demand fall back. And so you just add the additional uncertainty and potential reductions from these downturns. And, you know, we're, we're already off by 15 or more percent in terms of our overall use this year. And, and we could see that fall even more. So seeing that fall, does that mean that some of these ethanol plants that are mothballed right now might stay that way? And could we possibly see more? Yeah, you're right. The sober news is um, a lot of these plants that have been mothballed will continue to be mothballed. Um, And that's been a saving grace, frankly, for some of these others that are still operating because you see some, frankly, large producers shutting down their operations um, trying to do what they can to, to restore some sort of balance between supply and demand. And I think it's very possible that if we do see some additional lockdowns in some of these states, Susan, that are high population, um, that could result in more, more shutdowns or, or more reductions. Now, these, these producers, you know, they've, they've come accustomed to that and they, they know how to adjust to these things, but you know, that's not good for these rural communities. That means hundreds of millions of bushels of corn um, aren't going to be purchased if we see more and more of these lockdowns so it's, uh, and shutdowns. So it's, it's concerning to us. Looking into 2021, what are your thoughts? New administration, RFS, are there concerns or is it going to be okay? There are concerns. I, I, I can't say it's going to be okay. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of unfinished business relative to the renewable fuel standard, right? We've got some additional small refinery waiver decisions that need to be made either by the Trump EPA or by an incoming um, administration if, if they kind of kick the can on those decisions. We have a 10th Circuit victory, a really bright spot for us um, on these small refinery waivers from way back in January. It needs to be applied going forward. Um, We're hopeful the Trump EPA does that, but we're not sure. Um, We're hopeful we see some news maybe yet this year from EPA um, on E15 and relaxing some of the restrictions that retailers uh, are imposed with relative to selling E15 to customers. We really want to make some progress there. And then I would say with the new administration overall, 
you know, um, we need to engage the Biden administration on the promises that were made over the course of the campaign to restore the RFS back to normal and not go through these small refinery exemptions. We've seen a lot of candidates make a lot of promises during the campaign only to see some of those things fall away when they're actually in office. So we need to hold the Biden administration accountable on that. And the final thing I would say is this. Um, there is a lot of anticipation about what clean fuel policy, new fuel policy at the federal level that requires um, a reduced carbon intensity could do for our industry. We've already worked in a number of Midwest states on this idea that they could impose restrictions on the emissions, the greenhouse gas emissions of fuel, but also expand ethanol demand. We've seen this happen in California. We've seen it happen in Oregon. There's no reason we should, we can't do this in our own backyard. And so a lot of Midwestern states, Minnesota, Nebraska has looked at this a bit in terms of a study. Colorado, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin are, are looking at these clean fuel policies. We think this could be a real winner for agriculture and, and higher blends of ethanol if these policies are done right. And so we're going to be continuing to work at the state level, but also work with the Biden administration because we know that's something they want to do. So from a from a producer who raises corn, who sells it to the local ethanol plant, what do you want them to have as their takeaway from 2020? Yeah, what I would want them to know is that ethanol producer is going to want to operate if they can, uh, if the marketplace uh, domestically and, and um, the, the export market gives them that opportunity. They want to buy as, as many bushels from you as they possibly can. And he says we're working through the process with some public policy. Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. See the latest in farm and livestock equipment, real estate, shop organization, irrigation, marketing, and an ag college. KRVN The River and Cami traveled the state to bring you these experts in their field. View these informative videos on your phone, iPad, or computer. Just go to krvn.com and follow the link to the Harvest Roadshow. That's where you'll find the videos and an online form to register to win a $450 Zomatic Pivot Gearbox. The Harvest Roadshow, available now on krvn.com. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are broadly higher and trading on Wall Street. The S&P 500 is pushing toward another record high as investors focus on the possibility that coronavirus vaccines could soon help usher in a fuller global economic recovery. The S&P 500 at one point rose 1.2%. The strong opening to December follows a 10.8% surge for the broad index in November, marking its best month since April. The index is also on track to surpass its record high of 3,638.35 set on Friday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average has been hovering around 30,000. U.S. construction spending jumped 1.3% in October, the fifth straight monthly increase again on the strength of single-family home building. The Commerce Department says the October gain follows a strong upward revision of five-tenths of a percent in September. Private residential construction projects rose 2.9%, with single-family home building up 5.6%. American factories grew at a slower pace last month amid concerns at a resurgence in coronavirus cases and danger in economic recovery. The Institute of Supply Management and Association of Purchasing Managers 
says its manufacturing index dipped to 57.5 in November from 59.3 in October. Any reading above 50 signals that manufacturing is expanding. For the first time since April, the Creighton University Mid-America Business Conditions Index, a leading economic indicator for the nine-state region stretching from Minnesota to Arkansas, fell but remained above growth neutral for the month. In April of this year, COVID-19 pushed the overall index to its lowest level in 11 years. Since April, the overall index has climbed above growth neutral 50 for six of the past seven months, the November Business Conditions Index, which ranges between 0 and 100, dipped to 69 from October 70.2. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Burnett. On the last Rural Radio Forum. We like to tell our guys, you know, know, know what it costs to put that crop in the ground. Know what it means, what it takes for you to be profitable, and then build your marketing plan around that. The goal remains the same and that's to preserve our natural resources, make a living, and uh, educate our kids and raise the next generation. I would say you're seeing a few more smiles. The grain commodity market has certainly had a nice little jump here. You know, the livestock continues to ebb and flow. That is a challenge going forward, going back to the, you know, the packer situation and, and what they're willing to allow our local guys to have, so. Listen to the podcast on krvn.com. Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network, and today we are joined by Scott Lund. He's the farm manager at Santa's Woods, a Christmas tree farm near Blair, Nebraska. Scott, we've been hearing that Christmas tree farms had a record weekend right after Thanksgiving as people are excited to get outside amid this uh, strange era we're living in. Is that the same for, for you guys up at Santa's Woods? Oh, yes. We had record opening day, record biggest day on Saturday, and the combination record weekend. It was kind of crazy busy. Santa's Woods, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the biggest Christmas tree farm in the state. Remind us some of the details of your farm. Of course, we have visited with you in the past. Always appreciate your willingness to come on with us, but uh, remind us the size and scope of your property. Well, we have about uh, 40,000 trees growing at any given time, um, you know, ages from new seedlings on up to, you know, harvestable trees. Um, the trees sit on 40 acres of our 125-acre farm. Got got lots going on out here all the time, which is always kind of fun and exciting. For the people who visit your farm, assume a lot of them from the, the metro area or in the suburbs of Omaha there, uh, it's probably more than just buying a Christmas tree. You've got some activities set up and perhaps some reindeer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we've got a couple of reindeer that live here year-round. This year, we've had to scale back some of the activities. Um, we do have Santa on the weekends virtually where kids can interact with him. We've got s'mores area where you can roast s'mores. Uh, we've got a concession area that um, proceeds go to uh, the Christmas Trees for Troops program that's uh, run by the Christmas Spirit Foundation. And, you know, just the fun of getting out there and walking around in the field and being outside. And it's been gorgeous weather this year so far, so it's been fantastic. You mentioned you had a, a record opening day as well as a record weekend this past week. But what's uh, this week look like as well as going into the weekend? You guys still have some trees for sale? Oh, yeah. We've got lots of trees still for sale. Um, we're expecting still some pretty pretty large traffic. Uh, I know of a couple other Christmas tree farms that 
you know, they've sold what they can afford to sell this year, and they're going to be closing down for this next weekend. And so we're looking to see some of their traffic coming our way also. Um, I don't expect it to be as big as last weekend. That's always our biggest weekend. But I expect, you know, good crowds coming out, and we've got lots of area to kind of spread out. So for the most part, you don't have to be on top of anybody. And if people are interested in uh, finding your farm, uh, Scott, uh, you've got a great website with all the details at santaswoods.com. I want to ask you, uh, uh, if you can, Scott, speak to uh, if somebody has purchased a real Christmas tree this year, perhaps it's their first time having a real tree, they've had an artificial one in the past, do you have some tips for maintaining the tree to make sure it lasts all the way through Christmas? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the things when you buy a tree here, we do send you home with a, a tree care tip sheet. But some of those things are when you get it home, you've got to make a fresh cut on the bottom. Uh, get it into a stand that holds a lot of water. Um, make sure it doesn't run out of water. That's the most important thing. Keep it away from, you know, heat registers and try to keep it away from fireplaces, any heat sources. You know, right in front of windows, not the best place. That sun does kind of get warm coming through those windows and stuff. But, you know, there's, there's a few things that you can do. And, and we try to send home, you know, a care tip sheet with everybody to kind of help them out along the way so that their tree stays fresh for the whole holiday season. Great thoughts. Always appreciate your time, Scott. Uh, Anything else you want to add while we have you on the phone? You know what? Let's all just be safe and have a good holiday season. That sounds good. Appreciate your time, Scott. Scott Lund, he's with Santa's Woods, which is Nebraska's largest Christmas tree farm located near Blair, Nebraska. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing, Chicago publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, we have uh, kind of stepped over the cliff here today. We continue to break lower here, but we often talk currencies. And as I look in the outside, more stimulus talks putting pressure on the dollar. What's happening in those emerging currencies, specifically in South America? Well, the rail's strong. So it's gotten stronger looking at a breakout move here just as the U.S. dollar index falls against the major pairs. And what that means in the long run is good things for U.S. farmers. Short run, I think it's going to shake some folks out of the market here. Money flow is very important to uh, to trend. And at this point, you may see that ending just a little bit. Uh, but, you know, dynamically, I don't think anything really changes. It's it's still a buyer's market on these breaks. You know, 1150 beans, uh, you know, corn in the mid to fours. Uh, you know, 415, I think, would be a very good spot to maybe re-enter some sales that uh, you already made, just given that we're going to be the cheapest corn on the, on the planet here. So I think in the short run, the, the currency markets are getting rattled as we're trying to figure out what the world's going to look like post-coronavirus, um, how, how the you know, financial markets are going to establish themselves now that we have new presidential leadership. Um, and as the markets sat and listened to um, uh, FOMC Chair Powell and uh, Munchen speak, the Treasury Secretary, the markets just kept getting weaker and weaker. So I look for risk assets here to saw off a little bit, specifically the stock market, uh, but I think grains should be rather uh, supported given the, the competition here against South America. You know, speaking of South America, Argentina uh, crushers, they're on strike right now, or at least their labor portion of it. With the Real coming back, can we can we see that any move further south and kind of help Argentina and their run, runaway inflation, or can the U.S. step into that meal market? This is that's a you know these, these are all questions that are probably really really important to answer to to dictate how the world's going to look in three to four years. Uh, you know, Argentina is essentially your not to say it like this, they're like the broke broke stepchild and they need um, you know they need money they need to be saved or cast off one or the other and at this point in time uh, you know 
or just the currency continues to weaken. That dynamic isn't going to change because of this, but I don't think they matter so much. I think Brazil is the most important one, and this is more of a longer-term play, not not short-term, long-term, because if the real is strengthened, that, that makes it more expensive for them to produce, and maybe they start shutting down some of these, these new acres that are coming online. So from the standpoint of near-term price action, I think it's probably weak just given that you know, money flow will tend to exit the U.S. assets when, when we see a currency shift. But I think there will be some value value buys here, in, in the, specifically in the corn, uh, given that, you know, cheaply, uh, yellow number two will be the cheapest to the port through May. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing and Chicago Publisher of the newsletter this week in Crane. Do remember, trading futures and options involve risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Learn more at danielsagmarketing.com. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. If you miss anything or you want to listen to our Midday podcast, you can listen to that on any iTunes or Android device. It's sponsored by Deveni Motors, and you can also find it online at krvn.com.